welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We are here to inspire and empower leaders of the hospitality and restaurant industry to unleash the true potential of their organization. In today's podcast, I'm excited to be joined by Ben Heat, who is the founder and CEO of the Isle of Man restaurant and hospitality group, Harbor Lights. We sat down with Ben to talk about leadership, the industry, the challenge around operating on an island, and how to reinvent a family business. Grab headphones, snacks, and drinks, and enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast, Ben. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to have you here. And we are sitting in the Sefton on the Isle of Man in Douglas. It's lovely to have you here. It's like your second or third time over to the island, I think. So we've decided to let you back, which is good. Yeah, yeah. and you even you even want to do a couple of things with me, which is actually quite insane. But uh, <laughs> I wanted you to get on a podcast because you are not like the average restaurant group you are first of all you operate on the other man yeah then you have a long family history as well a long family history i mean we're the core brand that we work is 27 years old this year so i've worked in that man and boy yeah it's been quite quite a journey the isle of man's quite a unique space for food and beverage and all of the challenges that come with operating on an island but yeah it's been it's been quite a journey (laughs) So the the restaurant group you're part of called Harbour Lights. Yeah, there's right. a couple of other brands underneath that umbrella as well. That's right. So we kind of went through a, a transformational phase in the last 18 months, two years. The core brand, Harbour Lights Cafe and Restaurant, which started with one location 27 years ago, grew up to seven at its peak on the island. Last year, we, we went through some, some changes, looking at which part of the businesses were making money and which part of the businesses weren't making money, freed some of that up and took some investment into the company. And, and that let us be creative again and try out some new brands, which is was very freeing experience yeah. for us to be able to go out and try some new projects and work with some some new people and yeah, and just take a look at the business and, and see what it needed to be in 2019, really. Yeah, and I guess even though you're taking investment, you're still a family-run business. That's right. I mean, family at the heart of it, really. Really, my dad's idea to run a what started as a, as a you know family dining uh, around the afternoon tea space was the core product. That was the original idea and how it spread out into an, an all-day dining experience. But yeah, absolutely a family business from, from day one. And, and those lessons, <laughs> hard learnt, some of them, you know, inform definitely what, what we do every day. Today you have three brands. You have Sefton, yeah. which is a brasserie in a hotel. That's right. And you have the fishery. We're fishery, yeah, which is our new uh, kind of gourmet fish and chip concept. Yeah. Uh, and we have St. Norman's as well, which is, again, based in a hotel location, which is bar dining, bar space, which comes from, obviously, St. Norman's. Isle of Man's famous for Norman wisdom, so that's where that concept comes from as well. How is it then to be an operator of, on the Isle of Man, and how, how do you actually drive a food and beverage business forward? Because many maybe have heard of the Isle of Man, but never been here. Yeah. So again, so putting that in perspective as well, if you can get a bit of context. I mean, it's 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 a challenging food and beverage environment. There's definitely opportunities. I mean, we're lucky in the perspective that, you know, we don't have the competition base of the large chains. So really we have, up until recently, we had McDonald's and KFC. KFC have actually exited. So are really the only the only food and beverage brand that you would know outside the coffee chains would for food would be McDonald's. Everything else is, is a series of independent 
independence. There's definitely potential from that point of view. You know, our struggles are the same as everybody in the UK, but just perhaps a little bit more, you know, amplified, I would say. So staffing particularly is probably our number one challenge. We suffer from just not enough people on the island. That's not just within the hospitality sector, that's just in general. And shortage of suppliers as well, which means that our food costs are, we actually sit around 15 to 20% higher food costs than the UK as well. So how we remain competitive within that market and how we attract uh, new members into our team, you know, and and keep customer service, because that's very much at the heart of what, what we do. Certainly, that what we're known for on the island. So, how we recruit those younger team members and new team members in, whilst all the time maintaining the standards. And you know, the bigger you get, obviously, the more people you need, and the bigger that challenge is. So, if you look at the, the demographic of mm. the island, and I don't think we insult anyone saying that is a an older demographic. Yeah. So we're te- so we're we're technically what's known as a hyper aged population. So we have, I think, either the third or the fourth oldest general population in the world by percentage. You know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for attracting customers into the restaurants, but obviously it's a it's a recruitment challenge as well. We have the highest population of people over 80 within the European Union. So what that means in practice is that a large percentage of our population actually don't leave the house every day. <laughs> so we need to try and find, you know, new ways in order to service them from, from a delivery perspective, which is something that we've expanded into. Yeah, and, and try and remain relevant to these people for, for as long as possible. What's interesting about us is, you know, we, we were perceived probably as quite a mature brand. I mean, that was something really that we celebrated with the original company and quite traditional. And that was very much on purpose because that's, you know, not only where the bulk of the population was but but where the money was and for many years we you know we chased that pound I think looking back we probably chased it for too long actually and, and the need to try and sort of modernize and bring in some more contemporary aspects to it is the real focus of, of what we've been because the food and beverage industry as it has within the UK I think has, has changed over here as well and and also you know where where the money's being spent and what section of the, of the population money's being spent into that's come you know and been younger and you know and the brand has had to change and adapt to meet those needs you just mentioned like this challenging in the UK so we often talk about on the podcast and with with people around hospitality and marriage called the perfect storm yep. so there's like not much more that can be put into this source of or storm of ingredients because yep. you have all all the fronts fighting can you feel that that has an overspill as well and then uh, with all the other uncertainties around economies and stuff like that yeah i mean I, I think we you know we're not immune from anything of that if anything we things tend to hit us a little bit later so recession for instance you know hit us a little bit later we had a little bit of a bubble where you know things weren't too bad for so long but yeah absolutely we we are finding it more so here and as, and as i said I, I think it's amplified you know for our business if we had stayed at the size that we were fundamentally you know, the numbers don't make sense anymore. I mean, the numbers that we learned when we learned about running a food and beverage operation, where we set out those percentages and, and we know that as long as we kept an eye on these things, I mean, that, that model doesn't exist anymore. One of the key things that we went back to was to look at, you know, look at the rents we were paying, looking looking to go to the locations. And that was really the aspect of making a meaningful difference and kind of go, well, at that location, at that rent level, it's just the business is never going to make sense at that. You know, and that in turn meant making brave decisions and saying at that stage we're going to go from seven locations down to three locations, but we know we can make those locations work. You know, it was difficult at the time 
to make those decisions. But the decisions that we made then have put the business on a you know much more stable footing now. We're not immune from the challenges. They're, they're the same as everybody else is having. We're fortunate in some aspects. You know, on the islands, we, we don't have Uber Eats. We don't have Deliveroo. So we don't have to engage in those kinds of conversations. On the, the, the flip side of that is, you know, that route to business is not really an option for us. Delivery for us, would we would have to own that from start to finish. And we'd have to make those judgments and decisions about whether it would be commercially viable to run that but food cost in particular is the is the thing that's had a massive effect and we've just seen we're extremely limited on suppliers so we have no supplier competition i think you said one to me you have one supplier one to supplier. go to that's right certainly for for fresh uh, grocer levels of things that you would you would go to yeah one supplier one choice you know we've got an excellent relationship with them they do sort of everything they can but naturally you know when you haven't got anybody else in the market it leads to a certain degree of well look this is this is the price because they know that there isn't physically anywhere else. Our other option, if we didn't use that supplier, would be to go to Tesco's. You know, I mean, that's the other option that, that genuinely only the other option we would have to go and buy a lot of the menu items. And I guess also that restricts you from a menu point of view again, because I think there's also like when you have a very traditional focused audience, and then you also have only supply, then your your menu. How do you create your menus? Yeah, might be a challenge as well. It is, and it's it's as I always say to our you know our culinary teams. I mean, the, the challenge on the island is that for ingredients, we all shop at the same shop, so we are buying the same chicken, we are buying the same duck, the same pork. So how we bring value to that has to be perhaps a little bit more creative because we can't start with the wide range of provenance that perhaps other you know uk outlets would have to be able to source exclusive products this is you know it's become a real restriction and a a real issue for us and you know we we took the step last year to to expand into starting to do some importing ourselves so part of the business strategy was to look at you know how can we do direct shipping from the uk how can we have more vertical integration and more control over the supply chain of bringing things into the island because it was really about you know we were at the stage with the suppliers kind of going right god we know what we want to develop we know what the menu we want to be we know we need this product for us and our suppliers were going it, it doesn't make commercial sense for us to bring that product in just for you so it's a hard no you know you if you want that you're gonna to have to go and get it yourself and that's you know basically what we did and we've done but we're lucky because we've got the infrastructure and we've got the financial footing to be able to go and do that it also gives us a little bit more flexibility in terms of our pricing because we can insulate from some of that and i'm sure you talk about brexit a lot and uh, you know food cost pricing and you know what that will do and you know we particularly over here we see that as a as a huge issue for us you know primarily because actually it's the best excuse in the world for all of our suppliers to put their prices up even if you know actually to them the cost is not increasing it's just a great thing to come oh well you know cod's gone up 15 percent, but it's brexit well has it <laughs> you know i mean has it actually gone up that much because we've got no way to quantify that at the moment because we have no other suppliers that we can go to in order to qualify it even though if, if you came over here you see it's quite green over here is is there an infrastructure in place locally for sourcing you know basic Things like potatoes, mead. Yeah, and a lot of work's been done by the government and there are some really excellent local suppliers. We use them. Again, cost is high, so we have to be selective and they have to really add value to menus. So, you know, our philosophy has always been, you know, we don't use local for the sake of using local. It's got to be quality driven. You know, we have some excellent suppliers. We have some suppliers that are good for a small part of the year. There's, you know, it's a very traditional growing window. So potatoes, you know, to your example, yeah, we we have great potatoes, but probably only for three months of the year. They'll try and sell them for six months of the year, but we will only use them for three months of the year. And, and you know, for the other times, we're going to need to go off island 
just to maintain quality, really. You talked about recruitment as a, a big issue for your business as well, and that's where everybody talks around now in the UK as well about people. Yeah. First of all, because of, you mentioned Brexit, it's, it's, I think that is a trigger. I also think it's an industry being attractive. Yeah, it's quite amusing actually, because talking to UK colleagues, people who are operating in businesses, and they, they, they talk about recruitment challenges. When we talk about recruitment challenges, it's, it's really a much higher <laughs> level, I would say. So some partners that, that we work with in Dublin that set out to open a new store opening, they put uh, some applications out for team members to come in and they go you know it's really really hard we put a job advert out and we got 150 applicants come in for it but we could only recruit three or four good ones so that's when people talk about you know uk recruitment challenges is it's really about quality but they can still you know get a decent number of applicants it is very very normal and unusual for us to put out a recruitment job advert for frontline staff so server shift leader and receive zero applications I mean, that, that is the norm, actually. And really, our, our recruitment strategy is, would be highly unusual. And, and that is that, you know, really, if we want to go out and recruit, we have to go and find and actively pitch that person to come in. Our recruitment on the island is, is completely reversed. So the job board systems that, you know, that everybody uses, they're the complete other way around. So if there's somebody within the food and beverage sector that, that is looking for a new position, they will go on and say, hi, this is my experience, I'm available. And then businesses will pitch for that person. And they'll they'll openly pitch salary, they'll openly pitch conditions and go, oh, why don't you come in to me? I can beat them by a pound an hour. I can come in, I can give you extra hot, you know, from that perspective. So it's very, very usual for us to have, you know, zero applications for a job. Brexit's affected that. It's been quite interesting. We, as an island, we, you know, we, we struggle with, with population. You know, our population's actually decreasing we run a work permit system uh, on the island, which is very simple process. It's very easy to get. It's it's not really that much of a barrier. But we used to find the island would have a certain degree of overspill. So particularly from the northwest, Liverpool, Manchester, that if people were struggling to get jobs in the UK, northwest UK, then they would look at the Isle of Man and they would come over because they could always get jobs, particularly within hospitality. You know, as Brexit, we've seen people lose confidence in coming to the UK. Equally, that has stopped you know literally overnight we don't see any requests for work permits anymore that we used to and they really were the lifeblood of the hospitality sector over here so people coming in from western eastern europe very very strong work ethic and and experience you know in customer services okay with you know within different countries but they brought that with them and we're very very sorry to lose that the, the industry's really hurt certainly since that's coming in it's i don't see that unfortunately getting getting better there was an internal joke we had inside is you know every year we say well look it can't get any worse than it is at the moment from a recruiting position and every year it seems to get a little bit harder in one way or the other the challenge is really is it's now at the stage where it's starting to inform what uh, investment decisions we start to make. So we had two brands slated, two new brands to open this year. Certainly one of them we will shelve until next year. And we're having internal conversations at the moment about, you know, is, is now the right time? Can we open this? Can we deliver it to the standard that we want to deliver it? And can we keep the lights on? You know, can, can we keep people in the building enough to keep it to keep it open and, and deliver what we want to do? So it's it's really challenging, really challenging. Do you think that's what's coming down the line from the UK? I actually heard about larger operators not being able to open on some days in some locations because it's 
actually didn't have the staffing as well. I totally and the early that. signs, but that's in principle what you're saying as well. That that's the worst case scenario just because of the lack of hands. Yeah, I I totally believe that that that's a case. I mean, it's a hard realization, but I mean, we have been in you know, several times this year where you know we have opened knowing that we don't have enough people on the floor to deliver the standard of service you know, that we would want to deliver. And it's a really hard business decision. And I completely understand from a customer's perspective that, that you know, that they're, they're not interested in that. They, they come out, they expect the service they expect, and they deserve that. They're paying, they're paying money for it. But as an operator, it's a really tough situation to be in when, you know, you've got the option of going, do we cancel the day and we close, you know, and we close everybody? Or do we do the very best that we can and support it with management, which we do frequently. But honestly, there are times where we've opened and gone, yeah, we, we don't have enough people on the floor to deliver the standard that, 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 we, that we would want to. And I see that more and more. I see that getting you know, more and more likely and harder and harder. You know, as we know, when we don't staff it properly, we, you know, that's when things go wrong. And the customer, obviously, when we get it wrong, we want them to tell us and, you know, and they do. The perspective sometimes is that you, you've tried to understaff in order to cut costs. We never do that. Um, that's something that we've we've never done. That's not an area that we actively target to try and save money because it comes back to, to bite us. But from a management perspective, it goes against kind of everything that you set out in your strategy and what you, you know, your beliefs are about customer service. But ultimately, sometimes, you know, you know, I don't have the right amount of people on the floor. So just to understand again, people would think this sounds like a bit crazy, but again, how many inhabitants is there in Isle of Man? 89,000. Yeah, how many is active in the workforce of those? About 22. So that's already, if you do that calculation quickly, you can say yeah, like, you there's, can see. There's, there's not much. And I get that it kind of sounds a little extreme. They're kind of going, look, well, they must be able to find people. But genuinely, genuinely, it, it is a real... Uh, uh, and I'm sure there are communities within the UK actually that you know are, are, are the same, and islands in particular are, are, are you know a, a challenge. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast, you know, I mean, I, I will say this to to our HR team, and you know, the reality is that you know, for a young person coming into the industry now, there are easier ways to earn your living, mm. right? I mean, it's a tough job. It's a you know, people call it a calling, but you know, you genuinely have to love. And there are people we have many of them in the organisation, which I'm very you know, grateful for that do love it as a, as a, you know, school leaver, somebody looking at the, uh, you know, coming into the sector. It's a tough job. I mean, it's demanding. It's, you know, you, you have to really be engaged and, and, and it asks ultimately, as I say to our team all the time, you know, we ask a lot of our team. We ask long hours. We'll ask on, you know, ask on sociable hours. There's easier ways to earn your money. And, and when you've already have a, you know, every sector here has a recruiting challenge trying to attract people into hospitality is just is another level of complexity and the plus side as I see it is certainly from us as an employer you know it's really called on us to try and be as attractive as it you know forget about just a hospitality employer as attractive an employer as we possibly can be so to try and you know throw off some of the kind of stigma about working in the hospitality industry and because when it's good it's great you know when it, and if you're that kind of person you know you wouldn't do anything else but it's really focused us on being how do we make coming to work for harbour lights as attractive a proposition as we possibly can 
And we've sort of seen all sorts of benefits on the back of that, which, you know, I'm very proud of. It's, it's been a good focusing point for us. I remember we discussed the opportunity at some point to go to the, the UK and see you can attract, you know, managers that has like done maybe the London thing, yep. hit the wall, need, need a new start. And, and as you said, we're going to offer them similar salaries and, and then the quality of life. That's it. Because, because the quality of life here is amazing. It's a different speed. It's a, people are more friendlier than in the London. Less they are. Hectic. They are certainly and that. As soon as you land in the airport, you know you are in a different place. That's for <laughs> sure. And it's the only place I've arrived. Actually, I arrived today, and uh, Grandin, your head of HR, was standing there with a sign, "Welcome, Hospitality Mavericks." And Michael, and that's the first time ever I got a. We're a f- yeah, we're a friendly bunch. Like we're a friendly bunch. We but, haven't. Yeah. I mean, but coming back to the the question, actually, was that we talked about you know going getting you know potential talent, you know core yes. talent to 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 help. Run the business as you scale up because I guess that's the capability challenge it having is. the management infrastructure in place you tried that but that that hasn't really we tried it uh, we continue to try it again it, it it's quite a specific ask you know I like to think we, we're we're an attractive group to work for in the sense that we you know we're, we're small you know you, you somebody would be joining a team where they could affect a difference mm. uh, you know they, they, they really could they're working across multiple brands we've got quite a diverse set of brands so you get a bit of experience with absolutely everything and you know my kind of thought was well people move on in their lives you know if if somebody's in London at the moment and they you know they do have a, a family but want to stay within the industry this is the perfect place to do it because you get the best you really do get the most of it. I mean this is a fantastic place to to bring up children you know to, to enjoy a much I would like to think a higher quality of life work balance um but yeah I haven't been able to convince anybody over over the water yet we continue to try <laughs> if you look at so where you are now you said you you went from seven units down to three and you, you're working on, on new concepts like what do you think is like besides recruitment is probably in your your top three challenges as uh, you go forward and want to develop the group you're not planning standing still you actually wanted to move forward we want to move forward we have come from a, a background very much of full service uh, large menu full service dining experiences as we respond to to food costs and service costs and you know and all of the above we need to be very much focused on what the food offering will be so our next kind of two or three concepts will be, you know, very, very pared down. They'll be very specific. Uh, you know, I've set the team internal challenges that, you know, that both of the next concepts we do will be 10 menu items or less. Because we can then enjoy, or the, the plan is to try and honestly to de-skill. Uh, that's the first one, to be able to concentrate on customer experience, but actually de-skill the full service element of it. But also to to try and, you know, we really need to be disciplined about food costing. Our Sefton location, which is a the full-scale brasserie, we're open 365 days a year, 10 till 10 every day. You know, when I look at the number of, of SKUs on that menu breakdown at the moment, it's vast you know and it grows every day despite my best efforts it's really discipline in terms of what this next you know what these next concepts will be you know i talked in the in the intro about you know there are opportunities here that we see trends within the uk we see kind of proven concepts within the uk that have done very well they haven't been done here yet so it's about you know picking which of those will work on the island and then kind of exploring them and putting our own twist on on, on how we do them so so how do you go about you know, like finding out what the next thing is for you guys and uh, where do you go for inspiration the london is is the obvious choice like london new york but it's like things i guess the things if you took them here it wouldn't work it's you know, a great example of that is sushi i mean a couple yeah. of people have tried sushi on the island ironically considering we're surrounded by fish 
We have some very good fish, but the rest of it mostly is imported. We have very few lines that we can actually catch locally. So we're into, we have huge shipping you know, issues around uh, bringing in fresh, very, very sushi grade fresh fish. So a couple of concepts I've tried, but it's just not a concept that is ever going to to work here. It's a reach too far. So yeah, I mean, you know, with the other side of the business, I'm, I'm in London talking with partners and things like that a fair amount. But I think we actually look more towards the Northwest actually as inspiration. So Liverpool, Manchester, York, around those, to see what concepts are sitting sitting well within those, perhaps smaller communities, not even the, you know, the big cities, but, but outside and, and see, you know, take inspiration from, from those. You know, we are 89,000 population, so we we need to be mindful of that in terms of trying to hit and be as responsive to as many people of, as we can within that community. We're not looking at a community of 1 million, 2 million, uh, where you can afford to uh, be a little bit more bit more niche. So, you no know, firm, well-thought-through concepts that, you know, are going to hit as, as many people as possible. So when you go to, because you could say this food scene in Liverpool, York and Manchester have really exploded the last four or five years. And we did a trip in Liverpool, I think it was last summer as well. And we can see that like it's a new level. I guess also having, you know, you need to be quite specific about what works with your demographic again as well. Besides, you know, looking what works in those cities, because there was something that will work in a metropolitan city like Manchester would not work in the Isle of Man or even in Liverpool. Yeah. Are there any big operators you're looking at and thinking that you can learn something from or you're you're picking and choosing from... No, I mean, I, I actually think it's the, the other end of things. I mean, we're looking very much at the, the independents, actually, looking at what, what the independents are doing in the space. Because from our investment structure, you know, we have to be realistic about return on the, the number of people we physically have here, the number of, you know, and what, what percentage of that are regularly dying out. And, you know, and those numbers start to shrink quite small quite quickly certainly probably if you were looking at them as a business plan in the UK you would probably pack up shop and go and find a different area with more people in it honestly again I'm going to talk a lot about discipline but but being disciplined about about concepts so with the amount that we are investing the reason that the independent space is is more interesting to us is because we can look at right well look what does an investment of 100 150,000 into a concept and what does that concept then return you know, on the journey to break even, we certainly see more parity and more interest coming from the smaller operators where they've, you know, they've got a, they've got an idea and they've gone at it in a bit more of a quick and dirty style. Let's get something open. Let's try a concept. Let's see how the public, you know, respond to it. And then we learn lessons from that and go, you know, what, what can we lift back over to here? Do you think that we're coming into an era again where being independent because of, you know, I know it's a tough time, but also you had never had as many tools as you can today from, you know, technology gives you a tool, that the infrastructure is more in place. It's, there's some things that's easier than there was when my mom and dad ran down. Yeah, no, well. definitely. And I guess that you can act big as small operator. You know, if you do well on TripAdvisor, you can use that as a branding thing. So suddenly there's more transparency. So there's not... People trusted the big brands before, yep. but now they've actually lost trust in them, but they now can trust the individual operator. Do you see that rise coming as well? And that's actually an advantage suddenly. I don't know how much an advantage is on the Isle of Man, but definitely I see those signs in, in the UK where more and more business goes to yeah. the individual brand that does really well. Yeah. I mean, I think the playing field is leveled for sure. Certainly within within small communities, I mean, you you know, there is now a, a clear route from a marketing perspective of, you know, a small independent can hold their own against a multinational, for instance. And actually, 
I think you get by being an independent, you get quite a bit more for free now because this, you know, this question of legitimacy, you know, how legitimate is your brand? How legitimate is your offering? You know, there's definitely been a, a turn away from anything that, that is too slick, that is too polished, um, which we see from the larger brands. You know, people want now real dining experiences. You know, they want it to be authentic. That You know, they want to know where the food has come from. Provenance has been building, obviously, for the, for the last couple of years. And, and I think that's less now about the name of the farm, where the, where the produce come through. I think to a certain degree, people are over that. But they want to know it's recipe-driven. What's the story? You know, I mean, this is becoming more and more important. And that's really an area that that the independents can go out and, and you know really make some noise about going back to your other question you know with regards to the technology aspect we as a group we always invested heavily in, into technology so 27 years ago I mean, we were probably one of the first groups on the island to put a fully digital pos system in when everybody else was you know still using tills we were the first group that i know of to move our rotors to an online cloud-based system we were uh, certainly from an island perspective very much ahead of the the vouchering discount trend and we got out of it <laughs> at the right time as well we made those investments internally and it was really down to the fact of you know the family business where everybody does everything i mean we took it as a point of pride that we engaged with as few external organizations as we possibly can. So we ran payroll internally, we ran accounts internally, we ran marketing internally, by which I mean we ran it between the family, which is myself, my mum and my dad, you know, that that's it. You know, we were very, very careful about anybody, any external organization that we went to spend money with because ultimately we were trying to drive as much of that as we possibly could. That meant going out and spending money on different systems and, and often kind of trying them out really before they were quite ready. Those lessons have served us very, very well. You know, we're a, a very digital business now from perspective of we live in cloud pos. We have one software package that really drives the business from a costing perspective. We have complete transparency across the group. So, you know, anybody coming into the business, a daily server knows what we're trying to do that day. They know what we're spending on wages that day. You know, I feel very passionately about not trying to shield that information from the team. They, they need to know what the business is generating and they need to know what, what the expectations are from everybody. And that, that's, you know, right the way through the team. That's served us well. Technology, is that helping you a bit with, you know, the challenge around having capabilities or resources in a way? Have you seen that have given you saved a bit of time there and automating things and making decisions quicker or yeah the specific thing technology has given you besides transparency i think it's helped us with accountability as much as anything it's given people the tools in order to make the right decisions more often we don't get it right all the time nobody does we make mistakes but we're making now informed decisions you know i still go in and speak to a lot of food and beverage operators where there's you know the amount of guessing that's involved in how they build a rotor and um, you know how they set set budgets how they do their food cost planning we're the first business on the island to do you know we do all digital ordering now so we only deal digitally with all of our suppliers for our suppliers that was quite a journey but it's something that we've been very passionate about getting them on board with for some time now and you know it's areas like that we're starting to see some decent drops within food costs because our culinary team are more accountable when they're going through their order list and they can actually generate a, a costed order before it's put through to the supplier 
there's a real number against something rather than going, we're going to have three boxes of that or two. You know, if you can't put a number next to that, then that, that information is irrelevant. How much efficiency it's brought, I don't know, because we're a people-led business at the end of the day. We still need the right people in the right places at the right time and as many of them as we can, we can get. Coming back to if you could take, you know, of these challenges, food costs, recruitment, population mm-hmm. challenge, well, the concept, if one of those you just could, you know, erase overnight. Yeah. The magic one. Yeah. Which one would that be then? Recruitment. Yeah, that's the major- what we spend the majority of our time discussing internally. It's the biggest risk that we carry on a, on a day to day basis. That we we are so reliant on so many fantastic key members of our team, and I know every business is to us to a certain degree, but we have so we have so little redundancy within the staffing system for key individuals that you know one person going within the group really does actually genuinely jeopardize whether we can open for a service on that evening we could open and stumble through but i would know that that person coming out of the organization we wouldn't fundamentally be able to deliver the customer services standards that we would want to do i could solve that one if you've got any ideas that would be just no lots lots of ideas we have lots to discuss the next couple of days So uh, I could ask you the first question, that's part of the solution, why should I join you? Yeah, I mean, as I said, we have really focused the organisation on how do we become attractive to employers? You know, how, how, how do we attract, particularly young people actually, into the, you know, Grania, who was our head of people, we really challenged uh, her this year to look at, you know, if I was a recent school graduate, what would get me to come and get excited about working within the hospitality industry? So we look at a balance, first of all. I mean, nobody within the organisation does more than 37 and a half hours. That's a, that's a standard. We are not interested in people doing 50, 60 hour shifts. That was a, actually a challenge for some of our kitchen team who have built their more mature ones, who've built their entire career on doing 60 hours a week. We want people to come in, we want them to do their best work, and then we want them to go home and, and have a bit of a life on the side of it. Development certainly is, is a part of it, personal and career development. You know, how do we grow people through the organisation? You know, what do they need? Because again, retention is you know an issue for everybody but it's vitally important for us because if we do get hold of somebody and they do have the customer service standards that we want we try and hang on to them as much as possible you know the main thing is we're from a management perspective we're a really small team all of the management team work in frontline operations chris who who is the uh, the ops director um, for the food and beverage group he is working in operations as we speak now that can be from everything he will go and jump in the sink next to the kitchen porter and bail him out if he needs to he'll also come and sit in the strategy meeting and talk about what we're going to do from that but everybody within the management team myself included if needs be they will jump in and clear tables they will come in and do and i should say as well i mean it's it's not walk through and there's a glass i need to pick that up I mean, I'm talking about going in and, if necessary, doing an eight-hour shift in order to support somebody so they can have time off if they need it. it and, and, and honestly, that's hard sometimes. It's difficult to to not have that line between head office, you know, I mean, I hate that term, but to have that kind of corporate line and the, the operations line because it's so far away from everything that we've ever done. Probably wouldn't work as well. No, I mean, it's, it's hard because as you get larger, there is a more of an... It's an administrative uh, monster that needs to be taken care of as well. You know, I mean, that becomes somebody's job. We try and make sure that everybody in the organization has some kind of customer interaction. They have an interaction regularly with the person that actually pays their salary. And I find that to be, you know, the most important thing that we don't have this distance between, you know, customers pay for everything. I mean, that they, they're, they're the fuel of the business. Not have that detachment from them 
and this head office idea. And I think that's very important, like, and that's what's gone wrong in many big businesses. Mm. And I know there's like coming up an event here in the islands called a TT. This is a big motorcycle. A little, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and your population grows with how? doubles. The doubles yeah. over two weeks. Over two weeks, so another, yeah, yeah another ninety thousand people arrive. And, and you had head sales numbers like you would do in some London locations. Yeah, I mean, we, we'll do 400, 500x in, yeah. uh, it's in ridiculous, yeah. And you you will need all hands on decks and these things. So that's, that's, that's where, you know, you bring everything together, I guess, as well. We describe it as, it's like going to war slightly. I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, jumping on and hanging on until the end of it. It's a, it's a massive strain on, on the team for no other reason than there's very little ramp up to it. There's very little preparation. You know, you literally, it's like jumping off the edge of a cliff. It goes from as it is now, you know, you've flown in today. I mean, we're, we're kind of in, in just coming into the season now. So it's pretty good. There's, there's people around, there's people engaged and they want to go out and eat. But then we suddenly go to hundreds and hundreds of covers in all of the locations every day so the team don't get any time to acclimatize you know so they they literally you know the light goes on and then it is exactly and then they just they just come in and and trying to gear up for that from a costing perspective you have to be very brave because again you the amount of money that you are (laughs) pre-committing relying on these people that they're going to get off the boat but if you don't do it you won't have it that said the team love it it's a fantastic atmosphere and yeah it's a very very unique very unique experience. I've not seen anything like it all over the world that I've been, you know. Oh, and you can see the whole island is centred around it all year round. That's, that's well, the, the economy's event. built the around economy it. Is yeah. built around it. So Those two weeks. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it has to be seen in a way. So, personally, who is uh, your heroes? Who inspires you in moving you forward and leading the team in the right direction? I mean, it has to obviously be, you know, my my father. I mean, the, the dynamic has, has changed now. I mean, my parents are and have been, you know, sort of trying to retire or they've been telling me they've been trying to retire for the last, well, probably five years now. I mean, I can't quite get them to exit, exit the business. Um, we are seeing some transitioning and I think what's <laughs> what's interesting is I uh, you know as the roles change as I sort of take on the role that my father used to take on I I hear his words coming out of my mouth <laughs> every single day and and other people in the organization have uh, you know who I've worked with for a long time you know our fantastic ops manager Chris you know he stepped into the role that I used to play he he really is the the brains and, and the thought behind the concepts and really instilling the you know the, the customer focus aspect of it the whole business is built on the customer aspect that really informs every decision that, you know we make at every level of the organization you know I had that drilled into me since I was 10 years old when I was when I, you know when I started in the restaurant so you know from that perspective he in all aspects of the business really informs every decision that that we make you know with wider industry there's there's lots of exciting things happening you know within the industry at the moment i'm a, I'm a massive mcdonald's fan <laughs> i'm you know honestly from that as a you know as a, a background of an of an operations guy i think you can't help but love that and to see the the transformation actually that they've gone on in terms of their without having any inside knowledge about it actually, but from, you know, even more interesting from an outsider perspective, how they've restructured that business from a delivery perspective is fascinating to me on and how you do that on that that scale. Outside of that, we find inspiration every day. But as I said, the majority of it is done through, you know, really cool, great little independence that I I stumble across. Um, I was lucky enough to be in China 
last week and saw the, the best donut concept I have ever seen. I mean, you wouldn't think there was much more to do within the donut space that was original, but this concept was, you know, absolutely incredible they've just sort of thrown away all of the the rules and rethought it and so we find inspiration you know every day through yeah, you also sent a picture of a very large insect to me i thought that was the next concept you were going ahead with you're going to run out of meat at some point we're going to run out of meat i don't know whether the isle of man is perhaps the first place to <laughs> to try it but um i don't know i might be wrong I, I, street food concept it's going to happen it's going to yeah. happen yeah we're going to run out of meat it's going to be yeah. it's yeah. the closest to vegan you can get with me <laughs> the last question we always ask people on the podcast is that if you had to give one advice to somebody in the industry what would that be or maybe it could be somebody coming into the industry we joked about it actually before we were talking about it but it is it is my key bit of advice <laughs> that is to know your numbers you know we said that you joked that that's what i was going to say but really with any business but particularly within hospitality it's a tough old business the numbers you know we talked about the challenges and how the challenges have got you know harder and harder and harder but you know hospitality is won and lost so quickly you know in the blink of an eye and if you take your eyes off those numbers even for a second you don't have a business anymore um, so even for people coming into the industry having the fundamental understandings of how those numbers work what those numbers should be and what they what they shouldn't be you're always going to be employable if you can do that if you can work within and understand a profit and loss within that industry uh, you're always going to be employable i feel i'm sure everybody talks about customer focus and there is all of that as well but actually there have been lots of fantastic customer facing industries that deliver a really really good product that don't exist anymore because they just didn't have the focus on what keeps the lights on at the end of the day yeah. spoken like a true operator or a true operator right true but i mean yeah profitability trumps everything it does but it's the way you get to it absolutely with that said Thank you very much, Ben. For Thank that. you. And when we come here in maybe three to four years, there will be maybe the insect number, concept, <laughs> the insect concept, or something else going on here on the Isle of Man. So, uh, thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Ben, for sharing your journey, the Harbour Light story, and your thoughts on the industry. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, subscribe to one of our channels, or best of all, review us on iTunes. Thanks to Let's Talk Video Production for making these podcasts sound beautiful. We hope you enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingsan. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be a maverick.